Welcome to Belonging Before Believing, where we're making up songs and wearing thongs. <laughs> Why are you laughing, dude? What's funny about that? I was actually ready for it this time, too. <laughs> hey, Pat, do you have something to say for this time? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. And I start snickering into the microphone before we're even recording, <laughs> anticipating what it could be, and you still caught me off guard somehow. Wow. What's funny about that? Well, I think I got distracted too because I was paying attention to how you say welcome to the same way every time. Welcome. I, it's a, okay. I'm, My a, hello I'm an 80s kind of guy. Is your welcome. So I got a little bit of Polly Shore in there, I think. That's a deep <laughs> cut. That's a deep cut, I know. But I think there's a little oh, bit about in that. Wow, that was bad. That was awful. Welcome. So, so. I hate. All right, I'm just going to get the weird one out of the way first. I hate wearing shoes. Oh. (laughs) Your mind went somewhere else, didn't it? Well, yeah, they're called flip-flops. Nobody calls them thongs, dude. (laughs) I do. I don't know why your mind would go somewhere else. I, I hate wearing shoes. And I'm wearing these shoes right now, and they're just like, they're fine. I mean, but... You have to wear shoes all the time now. I have to wear shoes job. all the time now with my job, and I would much rather wear thongs. They're called flip-flops, dude. <laughs> it didn't rhyme with songs, though. You're not Bo Rat. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but I make up songs, and if Bo Rat is a singer, then yes, I'm like Bo Rat. Because you want to know? I have a number one jam. Hold, please. Wait, I have a number one jam. Okay. I'm, I'm, Do you know my number one jam? I know what your number one jam is at my house. Dude, my number one jam everywhere is hot dog poopy pants. Do you want to hear how it goes? I know how it goes, but I'm sure... It goes like this. It goes hot dog poopy pants, hot dog poopy pants. Come on, Brian. Hot dog poopy pants, hot dog poopy pants. Let me hear it. Hot dog poopy pants, hot dog poopy pants. One more time, Brian. Hot dog poopy pants, hot dog poopy pants. See, here's the thing. I'd with hate that to song. interrupt this good time, but this is what I meant when I was yeah, talking. I, about. Yeah, Borat. Yep, I figured. Here's the thing with my number one jam. <laughs> it sticks in your head, and I guarantee you, people are going to be singing it for days you know after it, they just heard me. You sing know what it. else is going to stick in your head? Hot dog. This picture of Borat wearing that. It's green not, dude. Thing. It's not. That's not because all I think of is flip flops. Good for you. Good job. Specifically, I I love rainbows. Those are my favorite kind of thongs. So I can't... Okay. Flip-flops. All right. Terminology aside. Okay. I've tried to get into flip-flops, and I just can't. They're uncomfortable for me, which I know everyone else says they're the most comfortable thing that you can put on your feet, but for me, eh. Do you have, like, one of them weird toe issues, like the bunions or the corns? You know, where your toes go the wrong direction and stuff like that. Again, with you using the word the, <laughs> you will not use your Southern California lineage to get out of this one. Uh, the forever, bunions forever or I the corns. <laughs> forever I will use that. And no, it's nothing like that. At every opportunity, I will use that. I think I just need to break in flip-flops more. and then Dude, maybe rainbows are great. They're worth every bit of the 45 bucks that they cost. I, the last pair I had, I had for at least 12 years. Every penny that I spent on those was worth it. Is it weird that I feel like my feet are vulnerable when I'm wearing flip-flops? Like I feel more What kind of crazy things do you do that you're going to... You work at a coffee shop, dude. Yeah. 
you're you're not like at a construction site where you need steel toes. <laughs> Anything, you, you're fine. You should be okay. Are you not allowed to wear open-toed shoes there? On paper, no. But okay. we don't. We don't actually. I enforce for sure that. could not get away with open-toed shoes at my work. We don't actually enforce that, though. Hey, do we have a serious topic? I mean, kinda. Yeah. Kinda. What is it? Can you guys explain Calvinism and what in Scripture makes you believe in Calvinism? Why would anybody ask us that? Probably because they know we're Calvinists. <laughs> what does that mean? I guess that's the question. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like like that, that, that serious, does it? No. Okay. So not, Certainly not more serious than our last topic. No, no. Eesh. Or any of our last three topics. Um, okay. Christianity is a... Um, very big tent. Is that fair to say? Okay. And so far. Within, <laughs> within that tent of Christianity, there are a lot of tables set up. And these different tables, I might say, represent different bents, perspectives, Beliefs, denominations, I, I think all of those kind of terms will fit. And within the tent of Calvinism, if you could divide it up into two sections, there's going to be an Arminian section and a Calvinist section. So uh, I, I want to be real simple and real clear, and I get this is going to be, even at some points, kind of simplistic. Anybody who listens to this who's a Calvinist is probably going to be able to pick apart <laughs> things that we're going to say. But just know that what we're trying to do is explain big picture. What does it mean? So Arminians would come from the perspective that um, you have the ability, you are not, okay, that the fall happened and when Adam sinned, that he did not sin in such a way that he made all of mankind sinners to the point where they can't choose to do good, that they're still good within them, that they're, they're bad, yeah, but if they're given the opportunity, then there's the chance that they might and could possibly choose to believe in Jesus Christ on their own. Now, there's some within Arminianism that would say, no, that what God does for everybody is gives them a little bit of help. And the big phrase is provenient grace. But it's a little bit of help. It's, it's gets you to the point where you can then make the decision to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, as the other side of the tent would be the Calvinists, and in this other side of the tent, we would hold, and, and we are, Brian and I, we both are Calvinists. Real quick, before you even get into that. Yeah. Why is it called Calvinism? Okay, because, un, well, it's unfortunately named. Sure. Th there was a guy who it was in the Protestant Reformation, and his name was John Calvin. And some of the things that he taught became principles that ended up becoming Calvinism later on down the road. Uh, he would hate it. He would be absolutely appalled that people are calling something after him. So much so that he was buried in an unmarked grave 
just so nobody would go to and pilgrimage to his grave. He was that opposed to people naming things after him. So it's kind of unfortunate that this is called Calvinism for both him and for us, because it sounds like we're following after a man, when in reality what we're trying to do is allow the Bible at large to speak. And what the Bible says is that, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are by nature, that our very nature as humans, children who deserve the wrath of God, children who don't on our own trust in Christ, believe in Christ, we rebel against God, that Adam was the greatest man who ever lived, and when he fell, he brought everybody down with him because we're related to him. So we're sinners, and therefore we need God to intervene in our lives in order to give us the understanding of the gospel, to help us see that we do genuinely need it, to overcome our pride, our arrogance, our fallenness, and that unless we have God doing that, then we're going to remain in our sins. Um, God does say he's going to come and do that in people's lives. Um, Jesus himself said, no one can come to me. No one has the ability to come to Christ unless the father who sent Jesus draws him. That's in John chapter six. So Jesus's own commentary on us as people is that we don't in and of ourselves, apart from God, have the ability to come to him. And God needs to come and intervene in our lives, basically stop us from going the rebellious direction we're going in order to save us from our sins that we might have life in him. And when he does that, he does that infallibly. He does it exactly for who he meant to do it. And he does it exactly for the people whom he intends to get into his heaven. So that once a person is genuinely born again, they cannot and won't fall away from God and go back into their sins to the point where they end up being damned. Right. That's a lot, dude. I, I totally get that's. I just said so many things, and so many people might have zoned out. So say something to right the ship here. <laughs> Remember that time we started this episode talking about writing songs and <laughs> loving thongs? Yeah, I made up that song. But anyways. Anyway. All right. So I think maybe at this point it would be helpful to talk about what everybody thinks about, well, who's ever heard about Calvinism before, and just jump into what the five points are, yeah? Yeah, I guess. I mean, the elephant in the room is really going to be those five points. Yeah. You know, what, what are they? And what, what does that mean? Get, you tell me, where do we get the five points from? Where do we get the five points from? Oh, yeah. why you got to put me on the spot like that? <laughs> I know it's a synod. Okay, synod of Dort. Thank you. Okay, I would have guessed that too. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at that type of stuff. Uh, yeah, so Pat talked earlier about um, Arminianism and Calvinism, and... Oh, I can't believe you put me on spot like this right now. Uh, Arminianism <clears throat> came first. Right. Um, the Synod of Dort was in response to Arminius. And he wrote five points. Right. He wrote five points against the state church in the Netherlands. And his five points were that man could choose to believe in Christ, that 
election by God was conditional upon your belief in him that Jesus Christ died for every single person that there is, and it's up to them to choose if they're going to accept Christ or not, that God's grace is resistible, and you can choose to resist that grace, and that if you wanted to, you could actually, having become a Christian, choose to then not be a Christian and to go to hell even after you've been saved. So if you've made it with us this far in this episode, if you haven't <laughs> glazed over because this is the most like theological we've ever been. Oh, by far. Then what you've just heard is that this is the episode where we tackle free will. Right, right. This is the episode where we tackle free will. If I label this episode, do you have free will? I think people are going to stick it out all the way. Okay, if- and let, can I respond to that real quick? Sure. You, you, uh, not only. I'll allow it. Okay, <laughs> brat. Um, your, your will is not free. You can only do what you want to do. Oh wow! You can. Sounds like you're saying you cannot do what you don't want to do. So no matter what, you can only. You are not free to do anything. You're only free to do what you want to do. Which sounds like free will. But you can't do the otherwise. You can only do what you want to do. If you were to, let's worst case scenario, Brian, you were to put a gun up to my head and you were to tell me that I have to do one thing as opposed to the other, even in that sense, I'm going to pick one over the other that I want to do. Because you choose life. Well, it could or, be not. Or you choose death. It could be not. But I can't choose otherwise. I can only choose what I want to do. And what I want to do is dependent and consistent with whatever my will is and whatever my heart is. So if I want to do right before the Lord, my heart has to be changed first. Because apart from Christ, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I want to rebel against him. And I will only and always rebel against him in one degree or another. So, no, you don't have free will in the sense that you're absolutely completely free and you have three choices in front of you and you're not bent towards any one of those things. No, you're absolutely bent towards one and you will do that one that you want to do and you cannot do the opposite even if those choices seem legitimate to you. That's provocative, I know. Bring it. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're not going to get a lot of dissension from me. Well, I don't think from any. I mean, I've gotten a lot of pushback from people when I talk about this, and once we really start talking about it, I've never had anybody ever except one guy one time saying, look, I just know I can choose what I want. And, and he couldn't answer any question that I had. He couldn't answer any... Which is what any, you just said anyway. He couldn't answer any biblical... Exactly. That's what I was just about to say. He couldn't answer any biblical text that I had. And when I pointed out he was doing the very thing that I was saying he was doing, it just like broke his gears and he, he couldn't understand what I was saying. But the, the bottom line is, is that... That's where you got hot dog poopy pants. The dude's brain broke and he just started <laughs> spitting out randoms. Dude, I made up that song. Don't you dare attribute that to somebody else. <laughs> uh, I own that song. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah. I was, so ca- was kind of thinking that free will was going to be where we would kind of end up at the end. but Okay, well, but, well five points. So, so Calvinists or the church in the Netherlands, the Reformed Church, responded to 
Arminianus is five points with an opposing five points. Well, and real quick, while you were uh, rattling off Arminius's five points, it it sounds good, right? For the most part. Not to me, but... Well, well, I mean, just real quick. (laughs) No. Real quick bullet point him again. Okay. You're free to do... You're not so sinful that you can't choose Christ. Okay. So you're good. You're, you're, you're partially good. Are you telling me that doesn't sound better than somebody telling you that you're just like a complete utter wretch to the very depths of your being? I'm not saying well, yes, that we agree yes. that it's true. I, I'm saying that I don't agree with that. Yes. I, I, it doesn't sound better to me at this point. Well, duh, I've got, I've at this point. I'm not talking about you in your pastoral maturity. I'm talking about to a your average person. Okay. That's more yes. what I'm talking okay. about. The average person thinks that they're good. The average person thinks that they just make decisions and do whatever they want to do. The average person thinks that they can come to Christ anytime they want or they can choose whatever they want and do whatever they want whenever they want. The average person thinks that if Christ died, then he actually died for everybody, and there's no exclusivity in that at all. Because all and means it, all, and all it's the just, time. It's just out there, and it's just up to you. Jesus did all he could, and doggone it, he's just like, they're going, oh, won't you come to me? And he's more like a grandpa than he actually is a righteous judge and a king. Um, and then, yes, people think that if they're in the church, then they can choose to leave the church. They believe they can resist God's will. Yes. So my point in bringing all that up, that that sounds like it sounds good. My point in bringing that up was that it sounds good, but it's short-sighted. Well, and it's what I think the natural man is going to default to. Right, which is, that, which is why I brought it up. Because while you might be tempted to think, oh, that doesn't sound so bad, when you see it to its logical conclusion... Not so good. Which, now, finally, we've teased it enough. We can get into the five Here's points. Here's what we actually believe. Right. Yeah. Right. So, do you want to go? Do you want me to? Yeah, we can take turns. Okay, so I'll start. Okay. Um, let, let's start with the, before we get to the five points, the big overarching <laughs> We're thing. We're going to tease five points no, a little no, bit no. more. It's, it's not, though, is the sovereignty of God. Right. Right, we believe, and the Bible teaches that God is sovereign in absolutely everything. That there's nothing that happens that doesn't have some kind of plan and purpose of God. And I know that leads into so many questions. We can totally get to that in some other time. Well, we will for sure. There's a couple coming up that we will. But we totally believe that God is in absolute, complete control of everything that happens. That the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, everything has some kind of purpose in the plan of God. Which leads us into that first point, which I'll, I'll just jump in. Sure. Is that we are um, totally depraved. Meaning that as people, we are, as humans, we are so sinful that we can't on our own choose to come to Christ. We will not believe in Christ. We will not trust in Christ. That we have been so marred and twisted from the fall that unless God does some intervening work, we will not come to faith in him. And as you are prone to say, if sin were the color blue, everything we do would be some shade of blue. Right. Yeah. 
Right. It's been a while since I've said that one, so I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, yeah, that's one of the Pat Mathers hits. Yeah, yeah. If sin were the color blue, everything we do would be some shade of blue. That's a good way to define total depravity. Yeah. 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 So even, uh, so what that does is that even the nicest, sweet, like my grandma, nicest, super sweetest, she's kind, she'll, you know, give you a heap and serving a bread put or a rice pudding when you come over. And, Thanks. you know, it, dude, it's, it's knockout, dude. It I'm not joking around. It, it doesn't sound good, but it's I believe so it. It's so good. It's so good. And she'll give you a heap and helping of it. Um, but even her, everything she does, everything everybody does is some shade of blue. And so that means everything we do is sinful. And sin is the rebellion against the Lord. So even the nicest person still is in rebellion against the Lord in their nicety if they don't have faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that's the T, the you, unconditional election. You go. Oh, I was just thinking in my head about how this is going to shake out, and I'm really glad that I'm going when I'm going. I know. <laughs> I planned that. Did you? Yes, I did. Oh, well, I would have gone either way. That's why I did the S and the T first. boy. Um, anyway, uh, so unconditional election. Uh, before the world began, um, in complete disregard to anything that you or I may say, do, believe, whatever, God chose those whom he would save. Um, and that unconditional part, uh, like, is what I said about, irregardless of what anything, any merit that we might believe that we bring to the table, anything that uh, might, in our minds, make us more savable, um, what, and not to give away something that's coming up in a question later, but regardless of, you know, the country you were born in, regardless of who your dad is or whatever, um, unconditionally, God has elected, God has chosen before time began those whom he would save. So are you a Christian because you're smarter than other people? No. Are you a Christian because you're more spiritually sensitive? No. Are you a Christian because you have an emotional bent and proclivity towards spiritual things? No. Are you a Christian because you're genuinely good? No. I am a Christian because a long, 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 long time ago, God decided that he was going to save me. There you go. That's unconditional election. Yep. That's what we're saying. Unconditional. It doesn't have any condition upon you. My turn? Yep. L, limited atonement. This is the, the big one. This is the one that everybody before you get into it, caught up on. Can I, can I be honest? Yeah. I, I don't understand why. I really don't. Because you... But I, well, okay, here's why. It's because... I've heard the arguments, but they make no logical sense. And we were... No, it's not logical. It's and, emotional. Right. It's totally emotional. And we were just talking to somebody last week who said... Logically, in my mind, it makes complete sense that limited atonement is a thing, but emotionally, I can't get past it. Yeah. So what that told me is, you believe in limited atonement. You just don't want to tell anybody you that you believe yeah, in it. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So right. anyway. No, no, right. no, no. I get it. That's, that's, this is the big one. Is, and what it means, it, okay, both Arminians and Calvinists limit the atonement. The atonement is who is Christ's death and who did it actually save? The Arminians limit it in its effect, meaning that it doesn't actually save anybody. It just puts people in the position of being savable. And then it's up to them to save themselves. 
the Calvinist would say, no, that Christ's death actually saved his people. It did everything it possibly could. He provided everything he could in order to atone for the sins of his people, that he came and he died for his people. And those particular people are those who are actually saved. And there's a multitude, and they're from every tribe and tongue and language and nation and people on the face of the planet. So that on the last day, there's nobody standing there saying, well, you did me wrong, or you didn't save people from my people group. No, God will be able to say, in all justice and all fairness, I didn't owe salvation to anybody. It's by my grace that I saved anybody from their sins through Jesus Christ's death, and I saved the exact people who bring me glory and honor and praise. And God is God, and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, and again, just bringing, it, it just makes logical sense that if he had paid the penalty for sin for everyone, then not even God himself would be able to hold them accountable for a sin that had already been paid for, right? And, yet, yes. And theoretically, nobody might be saved because theoretically, nobody might ever choose him because they don't have to. So Christ's death could have accomplished absolutely nothing. Well, that's getting into the next point too. But It is, it yeah. is, I know. But, I, but, but that's, that's a reality is did Christ actually save people from their sins or did he do just enough to get people savable? The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus himself said that. He came to do the Father's will and to do it perfectly. He, he prays in that high priestly prayer, Lord, I, I'm praying for the people who will believe in me because of what he's going to do on the cross. He doesn't pray for a theoretical, nameless, amorphous group who might possibly believe in him. There's always specificity when it comes to the atonement. And, and I, I, as simplistic as this is, it, it, I just can't come to the conclusion that just Jesus didn't do enough to save people, but he only made them savable. Anyways, that's the L, the U. Right, okay. Unconditional, or <laughs> the uh, I, irresistible grace. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just at the end uh, of what you were talking about there. I was thinking about how he didn't make them just savable. Um, Matthew one twenty one. he shall bring forth the son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he will save his people. He will. And to make somebody save a bull, there's no, yeah, like you said, I don't think that God in eternity past when he had the plan of salvation was going to roll the dice that some people might, oh yeah, that sounds good. I'll be saved. Even if he had just has foreknowledge and God looks down the quarters of time and sees who it is who's going to choose him, it still puts the boast in the lap of the person. I made the right decision. I did this. So yeah, Christ died for me, but it was because he saw that I would turn and believe in him. And that is not acceptable because that's not what Christ said he was going to come and do. He said he was going to come and seek and save the lost, that he foreknew, meaning he foreordained those who would be saved. Right. Um, We're getting a little esoteric, I a, think. A little, a little. I was about to move it along. Um, so I, irresistible grace, um, like you said, that 
this is the way that you know we have confidence that God would save His people because if He saved you, you're going to be saved. Um, so when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus said, "Lazarus, come forth," do you think he, Lazarus could have said no? N- well, no. No, John 12 there is pretty clear where Jesus is calling him and he comes right out. <laughs> yeah, but can you imagine you're, Jesus is raising somebody from the dead in your death, in your absence of life. Yeah. How do you, you know, not consent? How do you scoff? How do you wave off somebody bringing you back from the dead? So we see this in the Gospels in a, you know, very, very, very literal sense. And when we're being spiritually resurrected from the dead, when we are going from um, children of wrath um, and we're having our heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh being put in, when we are going from death to life, we get to say no? God's trying to say, trying quotes there. God's trying to save us, and we just and we say no. So I've heard it said, well, God is a gentleman. He will never force himself upon anybody. God is a gentleman. Oh, First thing, man. Right. Is that, that's the word they oh, use. Literally, I've heard that a hundred times before. More, God. maybe more. God is a gentleman. He'll never force himself on somebody. Can you imagine a lifeguard trying to save somebody who's drowning? And as soon as they, pro- oh, all right, I'm a gentleman. I'll see you later. Or Just right- wanted to offer. <laughs> a righteous king invading a foreign land and choosing to save some of those people as if they could be like, you know, I kind of don't want to be rescued. I kind of don't, you know, no, he's going to come in and he's going to save them. And because he's a good and righteous king, people are going to follow that. It, so John 3 is the past, John three sixteen, right? Everybody quotes that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish in everlasting life, right? Everybody quotes that passage all the time, and they go, for God so loved the world that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? And that's the point. The focus is on the whosoever, meaning you, if you would believe in him, but that's not what that passage is talking about at all. In fact, let me get in, let me move on to Perseverance of the Saints, where Jesus says earlier in John chapter 3 that the wind, the Holy Spirit saves people. Being born again is like the wind blowing where it wants to. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's choice. Because he's united with the Trinity, it's an inner Trinitarian work and promise. The Father decreed who would be saved. Christ came to secure those people's uh, salvation, and the Holy Spirit comes like the wind and applies it to people's lives however he will. So when we get to John 3.16, we get to that verse and it says, for God so loved the world, he's displaying his love to the world, that the believing ones, there's no whosoever there in Greek, it's that the believing ones would not perish but have everlasting life. That life will never fail. If the Holy Spirit comes in and secures your redemption by causing you to become born again, you will never fall away. You will be with him forever. You will never turn away and you will never die. 
you will be born again and you will be brought into his kingdom successfully. He didn't save you to allow you to follow. You're not going to, like he's holding you in his hands and you're going to squirt out the side like a bar of soap or something. You know? Right. Nobody could snatch you out, but you can jump out. Right. No, I've heard that before too. Right. I've heard that before too, that nothing can snatch you out. But if you want to, of course, that's not in the Bible anywhere. Right? Romans chapter 8, which talks about he will never, or you, he won't snatch, you can't be snatched out of his hand. There's nothing in there about you doing it yourself. God's the one who does everything, and he gets all the glory, and he's God. He should get all the glory and honor and praise for this. Right. Um, in First Peter, when I was teaching through chapter 1, I remember there being a, talking about our eternal hope um, and about how it's being protected and guarded for you and reading about how that word guarded can mean for you and from you. So in both senses, like it's being protected so that, yes, you will not be tempted in any way, but also so that you won't try to bail. He's keeping you from yourself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I think that there is plenty of biblical ground, as much as people would like to say that snatch thing, but you can jump out, whatever. Yeah, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. There's no condemnation. Christ died for all the sins you have committed, are committing, and will ever commit. Or else he didn't die for you at all. And if he died for all the sins you have committed, are committing, and will ever commit, then he died for all the sins that could possibly get you out of his grace. And he, you can't. If Christ died for those, you can't fall out of his grace. Yeah. So this is already pretty significantly our longest episode to date. I would love to get into the second part of the question, which is what in Scripture makes you believe in Calvinism? I know we did well, that. we've given a f- We have, passages. but uh, we're going to do something that we've never done before. I'm going to throw something in the show notes, and uh, we'll have some links to where you can go and you can double-check these things in Scripture should you choose. Um, if you are somebody on the outside of the church and you listen to all this and you made it this far... Uh, you are to be commended because <laughs> I understand that that's probably a lot of really confusing stuff. Um, if you do have questions, whether you're on the outside of the church or not, um, that would make a ton of sense. It would make a ton of sense that you would have a lot of questions about this. So hit us up in the comments. I'm going to make sure that we have a post for this episode. Um, if not, find us on Twitter, belong before belief. Hit us up on Instagram at belonging before believing, or you can always send us an email belonging before believing at sovereignjoycf.org and yes we believe that you belong you belong